We'll start off Tuesday night Bible study with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we praise you and thank you and worship you, Lord, for this beautiful day. We thank you for the beautiful rain that you sent. Lord, we're so grateful. We need that rain. We need a whole lot more of it. Lord, we ask you to fill up all the lakes and everything, uh, to water the ground, fill up the stock tanks and the water tables. So, Lord, it's very necessary and important that we have plenty of water. And, Father, we thank you for providing, and we know you will, because we're your children, and we ask you to do this. We know you will do it. So we praise you and thank you, Lord, for filling up the tanks and watering the ground and, and everything so the grass and the trees and the flowers and everything will grow. We'll have a beautiful spring. Father, we thank you and praise you for today. We thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for the word, most of all, Lord, because it shows us who you are, who we are, and what we can do in your name. Father, we give you all the praise and the glory and honor for tonight. May you bless everything we do tonight, and may you be in total control of this evening. And we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that Paul's talking about. Uh, we'll just start with verse 1. And 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Are we beginning again to tell you how good we are? <clears throat> some people do that. Some people need to bring letters of recommendation with them to ask you to write letters of recommendations for them. But he says, but the only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. And that's what we should need. That's what we should have as children of the king. The only letter of recommendation we should have is the people that we minister to. As we minister to them, their lives should be changed. You know, and as their lives are changed, that's the letter of recommendation that we need is the people that we minister to. We need to see the Lord do great things in their lives and change them. It says, your lives are a letter written in our hearts. So as we write the Word of God, in people's, as the Lord writes it in people's hearts by us teaching them, their lives should be changed and they should become different people. If the people you're ministering to or talking to in the course of the day, over a month or a year, if they're not changed... You're not telling them about the king of this book. But if you are telling them about the king of this book, their lives will be changed. People need to know who they are and what they can do. And if we don't tell them, chances of them going to the book and getting it out of the book is very remote. Very few people will take time to read God's Word. Such a small number. So we need to be talking to people, you know, about these things. I will have to say that... <clears throat> Uh, last Wednesday, when Dave and I, uh, uh, we, I made an arrangement with an uh, uh, outfit called Dallas Air out there to do an annual on our airplane. And I told the guy, I said, I won't let you do it if you let me help because I'm an A&P mechanic myself. And he said, well, okay, if you're an A&P mechanic, I'll let you help. Well, I wanted to be there and be around these men. I wanted to see what was done to my airplane, plus I wanted to help do things to it myself. But I knew that with Dave and I there as sons of God, we could change everything in that place by being there. And boy, have we ever. I mean, we have changed that place. 
I mean, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Monday, and Tuesday has made a traumatic change. In fact, yesterday afternoon, we sat out there after they closed and talked to two of the men I know an hour, hour and a half. And what we were talking about was Jesus. In fact, one of the men, he said, uh, <clears throat> I go to church. But he said, I ain't never heard nobody talk about the Word of God like you two talk about the Word of God. And then he made a statement. He said, I know God must have a very special place in heaven for you and Dave. <laughs> I thought, you he's got a very special place in heaven for every one of us. But, you know, a lot of us will never learn the truth because most people don't read their book. And, and he agreed. He said, I read it some, but I don't just study it. He said, it's hard for me to read and understand the Bible. So Dave told him, get you an NLT. You know, read it, and it will be a lot simpler. Of course, that's what I'm studying out of tonight, what we're studying out of, the NLT. But if you're around people and you're not changing their lives, you're not telling them about the King of Kings. You're still too much involved in the things of the world. It says, clearly, you are a letter from Christ prepared by us. It is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on stone, but on human hearts. <clears throat> and that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be taking the Word of God. We're supposed to be working on people, telling them about this wonderful Jesus and the salvation and the healing and deliverance and everything else that we have. <clears throat> and we are to let the people or the people that we're around are supposed to be changed. And, of course, their lives are supposed to be changed. Like I say, some people, you can be around some people all of your life and they're a Christian, and they never change your life at all. Not, not at all. I, I've seen people like that. I've been one of those kind of people, you know, in the past. But uh, hopefully I'm not going to be there no more. <clears throat> I want to change people's lives, don't you? Sure. And you talk to people because that's what the Lord, that's what Paul was talking about here. We are conditioned of all this. We are confident, I mean, not conditioned. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. Now, see, as we trust in the Lord, the more we trust in the Lord, <clears throat> the greater confidence we have in our Lord. You know, you can't spend time in this book every day and not increase your confidence and your trust in the King. You know, if, if you'll get in the book and you'll read these promises and meditate on them, it, and you'll read all of it, not just a, you'll not take somebody's uh, something, but you'll sit down every day and let God lead you, let the Holy Spirit lead you, get in His Word, pray over this Word, ask Him to reveal Himself to you in this book. If you'll start reading this book, I guarantee He'll change your life, won't He, Keith? He will change your life. He did mine. And every one of you that has spent much time with him, you'd have to tell me the same thing. He has changed your life forever. And you will never be the same. Now he says there, It is not that we think we can do anything of uh, lasting value by ourselves. Now that's the thing we got to realize. Without Christ, we can't do nothing. It says, <clears throat> Our only power and success comes from God. Our only power and success comes from the King. He is the one who has enabled us to represent His new covenant. Now, see, I didn't know for a lot of years that I had a new covenant. 
I didn't know about the new covenant. And when I got a hold of this new covenant, it changed my life forever. Now, this is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. We have this new covenant. The old way ends in death. Now, how many of you like to have the old covenant? It ends in death, eternal death. You know, because who can keep the law? What, what man ever came to this earth that kept the law to the nth degree? Only Jesus. He was the only one that didn't break the law. He st- and he was a man, but he was also come from heaven. He was a spirit man. He came here and he kept the law. He's the only one I know that's ever done it. He kept it and fulfilled it. And then he gave us a new covenant and told us what to do in this new covenant. And it says the old way ends in death, and the new way, the Holy Spirit, gives life. Now, don't you, don't you just desire to be led by the Holy Spirit? I love to be led by the Holy Spirit. I love to hear His voice. I love for Him to tell me when I do things that's, if I'm going to do something wrong, I love for Him to prompt me, say, don't do that, you know, and then hopefully I'll listen. You know, or when I do something, you know, and He speaks to me, you know, I love hearing the Lord. I mean, just like the other day, I've told this story many times, as most of you probably have heard it. But just like the other day when I was going to work on that heater out at the shop out there and couldn't find the code book. I spent two or three hours trying to find what a code flashing to meant. Couldn't find it. Called the company. Called the people that sold it to me. Did every looked everywhere for the book, couldn't find it, frustrated. And then my lovely co-worker Dave walks in. He said, what's wrong, Pastor? And I said, Dave, I've got a code book. I've lost it. I can't find it. I can't figure out what this flashing code 2 means. And I've called everybody trying to find it, went in the Internet, and I haven't found it yet. He said, well, you know, my pastor would say, have you prayed about this yet? I'll never forget that. He just, <laughs> I taught him well, and I, I, I don't listen to my own teaching. You know, I mean, I teach y'all to do that. And he knew what to do, and I didn't do it. So anyway, I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, will you show me where that code book is? I said, Lord, thank you. And I, I'm telling you, the minute the word thank you cleared my mouth, immediately spoke to my heart. And my spirit spoke to my brain, and I knew exactly where that book was. I mean, and I just got up out of my chair, walked right around, down the hall, and around into another room, and right there, there was that book. I thought to myself, if we would only let the Holy Spirit lead us. But see, that's why He told us we need each other. I wonder how long it would have took me. Maybe I would have never thought. But the Lord said, I can see Him now, saying, Dave... Go in there and see Thurman a minute. You need to go in there and talk to him a second. You know, in other words, God should have spoke to me and told me, but no, he wants to use another one of his sons. So he prompted Dave somehow to come in and just walk in. I don't know what he wanted. He just walked in and said, how's it going? And I said, oh, it's not going well at all. And see, when the Lord uses us, doesn't he? And he came in and, of course, when I repented and when I prayed and when I thanked him for showing me where the book was, The Spirit immediately told me where it was. Don't you love being led by the Spirit under this new covenant? You know, it's wonderful. On the old covenant, they didn't have Him. 
you know, only the kings and the priests and the things like that had the Holy Ghost. But under the new covenant, all of us have this great privilege to have this mighty Holy Spirit. And He loves to do good things for us. The old way ends in death. In the new way, the Holy Spirit gives life. And if you're a born-again child of God, you have that Spirit living in you. You need to learn to listen to Him, put Him to work. A lot of people, unfortunately, that are Christians, never learn to hear the Spirit. I mean, thoughts will come to their mind, but they'll think, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just a thought. And then they won't yield to it. They won't do what it says. They just think that was them, and then they'll do something and, or do something else, and something bad will happen to them or something. And they'll say, you know, I mean, I just had that thought, you know, I should have done this, and I didn't listen, but that was just my conscience. Yeah, you're right. It was their conscience. It was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he was talking to you. Now then, the glory of the new covenant. <clears throat> now, those of us that are children of God, Paul's going to talk about this new covenant. He said that old system of law, <clears throat> that old system of law etched in stone led to death. That's exactly what it did. Yet it begun with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. You know, whenever the law was given, Moses had been in such direct contact with God that when he came down off the mountain, he so shined with the glory of God, the people couldn't stand to look at him. Had to put a veil over his face. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if you're in the presence of God, you'll, do you know today that if you're in the presence of God, there should be a glow about you? Amen. You know, you shouldn't be just a normal old person walking around with an old sourpuss look, grumbling about everything. You know, that shouldn't be us as Christians. Under this new covenant, we ought to be smiling. You know, some, every time somebody looks at you, you say, Why is it I never see you but what you're smiling? It makes no difference what kind of problems happen. you always got a smile on your face. Is that the way we should be as Christians? Absolutely. we got this new covenant with His Holy Ghost that's in us. It don't make no difference what the devil or the world or the system throws at us. We ought to be praising the King. You know, because after all, it's just as, like Dave and I have talked many times as we sit and talk about the Word so often, it's just... Another test. Everything is just another test to find out, are you going to grumble or are you going to praise Him? Are you going to grumble or are you going to praise Him? Hey, it's just another test. You just had one. He did. Eldon had one. That devil, I mean, he attacked him big time. We all have these things at one time or another. I had one recently. You know, you had to come pray for me. You know, <clears throat> But we all have these things. Now, the thing we need to learn, when we have these attacks, I mean, if you can't get this attack, if you can't get over this pretty quick yourself, call your prayer buddies. You know, there's power. Just think, the Lord said under the New Covenant, he's, one of us technically can kick out a thousand demons. But two of us can kick out ten thousand of them. And three of us can kick out a hundred thousand. Wow! So we need to, you know, why do you think he said if two of you agree on earth as touching anything under the new covenant? He knows there's power in twos. Why did he send his apostles, the disciples out two at a time? Why didn't he send them one out at a time? He knew there was power in two. 
So we need to take his example. And so anytime you have a need, never hesitate to call somebody for prayer. I mean, don't make it, you call, I mean, who knows? You, you know somebody that's a, a really anointed person of God? Call them. Have them pray with you. After they get through praying, you, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you about somebody else, call that one. And then if He speaks to you again, another, call that one. Call all of them until He stops prompting you. There's something about this. Somebody said, well, if I prayed about it once, that ought to be good enough. Well, in the Old Covenant, I remember one day when one of the prophets of God prayed and he sent a man out to see. He prayed for rain. He said, now go out there and see what you see. And the guy went out there and came back and said, I don't see nothing. He said, well, let's pray again. And he said, go out and see what you see now. And he said, I don't see nothing. So they prayed again. And before this was over, the seventh time he prayed, he sent him out and he said, well, I see a little cloud out there about the size of a man's hand. He said, that's it. Praise God. We got it now. Let's head for shelter. <laughs> and did it come a rain? Yes, it did. How many times did they pray? Seven. So you don't never give up under the new covenant. You pray till you get your answer, right? Yeah. You don't just pray once and say, well, that's okay. I've done it. That's good. Jesus, one time, does anybody remember Jesus ever having to pray for somebody twice? You ever remember our king having to pray for somebody with his full anointing? You know? You know? Yeah, that's it. That's right. He come up and says, what's wrong with you? He said, sir, I'm blind. And Jesus prayed for him. He said, what do you see now? He said, well, I can see men, but they're walking like trees. He prayed for him again. He said, oh, now I see clearly. Now then, if the king had to pray for somebody twice, and he was had the anointing of the Holy Ghost without measure, what do you think me and you have to do sometimes? We may have to pray for them three, four, five times, right? <clears throat> I think about we prayed for a woman that came from Florida. Saturday, and it didn't appear nothing happened. We prayed for her Sunday, and it didn't appear nothing happened. Well, Sunday night, after church, nearly everybody was going home. There was only a handful of people. Susan was still here. Rosemary was here. She got to see this. This woman was standing right up here, and Cheryl come over. She had been talking to her. She come over, got me and Elton, said, you two come over here. You've got to pray for this woman again. She's still not healed. Now, we had, no, all of us had prayed. I think everybody in this place in our prayer team had prayed for this woman. You know, and I'm sure different things had happened. But now then, through all these different prayers, certain things are happening. Now then, I happen to get the privilege to be the next one to pray. And I'd already prayed for her the day before. Nothing happened. I walked up there and she was standing right there and I laid my hand on her shoulder. And I prayed the prayer of faith for her. And I said, now then, Jesus Christ has healed you. And she couldn't turn her head, but just a little bit to the left. She had excruciating back pain and a problem with her leg. I told her, I said, now turn your head all the way to the left. Jesus Christ has healed you. And she kind of started slow. <laughs> and she started and she just kept on going. And as her head went around to the side, her eyes got that big. And <laughs> what? <laughs> Wasn't that something to see the Lord do that? And then all of us continued to pray for her back. Over and over and over, three or four or five times. And every time we'd pray, the pain would get less. It would get less. We'd all pray for her. And finally, after three or four or five prayers over her back, all of her pain went away. And this woman could bend over and touch her toes without a problem. And we got to see that, didn't we, Susan? We did. Praise the King. And the woman was jumping and hollering and praising the Lord. 
You know, she went home. In fact, we all even went to dinner together after that, you know. They wanted to take us to dinner. So we all went down there and had something to eat. And man, she sat right across from Cheryl and I at dinner. She didn't have any pains. She was feeling great when we left. I think, boy, what a Jesus we serve. But the battle was raised. Why did every one of us have to pray for her several times? Who knows? But anyway, it was awesome to see God do that. With this new covenant we have, these are the kind of things we can do if we believe God. <clears throat> so if the old covenant, which has been set aside, was full of glory, then the new covenant, which remains forever, has far greater glory. The, the, uh, let's see, where was I? I don't remember exactly where I stopped at. It says, I talked about the old system of, how, of the law etched in stone, led to death, yet it began with such glory, okay, that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. That's where we stop. For his face shone with the glory of God. Now, your face should shine with the glory of God under the new covenant, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory when the Holy Ghost is giving life? Shouldn't we expect it? Paul's saying, shouldn't we expect this? Yes, we should. Then he says, if the old covenant, which brings condemnation, was glorious. If the old covenant, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new covenant, which makes us right with God? Isn't that awesome? To think that we have been made right with God because of the blood of Jesus? We have a covenant that will blow your socks off. I mean, we can come by the blood of Jesus and get our sins washed away and get this magnificent Holy Spirit and we can do things beyond our wildest dreams. He made us all these promises, didn't He? Wow, did He ever. So it's much more glorious. It's a new covenant which makes us right with God. In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new covenant. In other words, when I read that one day, I thought, hmm, that means under the old covenant, I had a two-bedroom house and one bathroom and a one-car garage. But under the new covenant, I got six bedrooms, six bathrooms, two, two kitchens, Two big dens and a six-car garage and six cars in the garage. And a hangar out back with an airplane in it. Praise God. <laughs> that's the new covenant. I mean, isn't, that's, just, that's kind of a you know, way to put it. But isn't that amazing that the new covenant is so much more glorious? Because back in those days, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. But we do have. And he's trying to tell us how glorious... This covenant is we have with God, with this Holy Spirit that we have in us. And it's a shame that I took so many years to get a hold of the fact that I had this wonderful Holy Spirit in me. And that He was the one trying to talk to me and tell me things. And I didn't have enough smarts or intelligence to even know what was going on. He was trying to tell me things and I wouldn't listen. He spoke to me again and again through the Spirit. And in fact, when Bill Gothard asked me the question, he said, Thurman... I've been in the ministry over 50 years. I have never heard the audible voice of God. And you tell me you've heard it over 30 times? I said, yes, sir. 
He said, why do you think God speaks to you and he didn't speak to me? I said, well, sir, I only have one thing to say about that. And that's maybe that you're tuned in and you can hear the Spirit speak real gently. But I'm so stiff-necked and so hard-headed, the only way you can get my attention is talk to me out loud. You know, so that's the only thing I can say. You know, you know, there is some people, there is some people you can walk up and say something gentle to. You know, you tell them something, look them right in the eye. And you walk up and they didn't hear a word you said. They were thinking about something else. You know people like that? You've done that yourself, haven't you? Your boss or you walk up or your maid or whatever walks up and looks you right now. You think you got their undivided attention. And you say something to them. Now, of course, Cheryl will be in a complete agreement. You know, she, you know, she'll come up and say something to me like that. I'm looking at her right now. Yes, honey, okay. And I walk off over here and she says something to somebody. I said, what's that? And she said, well, I just told them the same thing I told you. I, I, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> None of y'all ever done that besides me, I know. <laughs> but I've done that. I've done that, Deborah, unfortunately. You know, I, I mean, I'm thinking. I, sometimes when somebody talks to you, have you ever been concentrating on something? I mean, I've had people walk in my office. I'm so ingrained in a study of the Word of God. They come up and knock on the door. Or I'm making a radio show or whatever. I'm trying to put this stuff together. And I'm studying or trying to put outlines together for GLC or something. And they walk up and walk in. And I'm so ingrained. I can't break my concentration of thought. I'm so where i got to be. And so they walk in and say something to me. And I, I just barely recognize that they were in there. I don't have a clue what they said. Don't have a clue. Well, when I'm that ingrained in something, it's so easy to get off on something else. You know, and so you forget. So, you know, I know we all do this. We all do this. You know, so we need to really start listening to the Spirit. You know, so when we, when somebody breaks our concentration levels on something like that, we need to be able, if we did something or changed in midstream or whatever, we need to be able to come back to that point. And the Holy Spirit can bring you right back to that point where you were. He can do that. But, you know, you can lose that point of concentration. I know everybody has probably been standing there talking to somebody. And somebody say one little word and to break your concentration, you don't even remember where you were. Everybody's done that. You know, so why does that happen? Well, if you're tuned into the Spirit, you can pray just a second, Lord, bring me back right where I was. And bam, you can come right back to that point. You know, he, he, this, this new covenant that we have, it's so glorious because we have the Spirit of God living in us. I mean, that's almost beyond the ability to comprehend, isn't it? That God's living in you. He's not very far away, is He? Absolutely. He's right here. Just like Paul said, He is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith that we preach. Whatever we confess with our mouth, if we believe it with our heart, we can have it. Isn't that amazing? That whatever we confess with our mouth, if we can believe it with our heart, as children of God under the new covenant, if we can really go there. I think about that guy over here at, uh, I can't think of that big church I spoke at here a couple of years ago, three years ago, whatever. Uh, oh, it was over at Hillcrest. That's where it was. Yeah, over here at Hillcrest. Great big church over here. Uh, yeah. Uh, just uh, south of 35, 635. <clears throat> but I met a man there, and he told me after I spoke, he came up and he said, you know, when I got a hold of what you teach, he said, I used to wear glasses that were this thick. He said, without them, I couldn't see a thing. 
He said, I started saying when I got hold of Mark eleven twenty three, Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes. I can see far away and up close in the name of Jesus. He said, Lord, thank you for my beautiful, clear eyes. He said, I said that. I started saying, and I said it more and more and more and more for month after month after month, more and more. He said, one day I'm driving down the road. I said, Lord, thank you for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes, both far and near. And he said, the Lord said, you finally believe it. He said, what, what? He said, you finally believe it. He said, well, yes, Lord, I believe it. Now, the Lord really knew where he was. He said, well, take your glasses off if you really believe it. He said, man, I pulled off to the side of the road. I stopped and I jerked him glasses off and I looked out and he said, I couldn't see nothing. But he said, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes. He said, Thurman, everything as far as I could see just came into beautiful, sharp, clear focus. And he showed, he said, I'm still reading this Bible today and had the teeniest little print I ever saw. I couldn't read it at all. He said, I can still read up close and far away just like that. And I've had perfect eyes ever since that day. He said, but months and months, thousands of times, I said that over and over and over. Thank you, Lord. For my beautiful, clear, sharp eyes, far and near. And he said, it finally happened. Now see, we must be really stiff-necked and hard-headed, aren't we? Because he had said it thousands of times. You know what we do? We say it once or twice, then it don't happen. You say, well, it's not going to work for me. And that's where we lose it. We don't continue to stand on these promises until we finally get it in our spirit. Do you know you can tell a lie enough times and it will finally become a a real thing to you? You'll swear that really happened. But it didn't. But if you tell it enough, you'll finally get to the point where you believe it did happen. It's amazing, isn't it? Sure, you've told yourself. But under this new covenant, we have this mighty Holy Spirit that is beyond our wildest ability to even imagine what we have living in us. God's living in you. And He wants to communicate with you and He wants to help you every day in everything you do. He is your daddy. He is your brother. He's your teacher. He's your comforter. He's your God. And He loves you enough to have sent His Son to pay this awesome price so that we can have this new covenant. And we don't have this old covenant with a two-bedroom house no more. We've got this big one. You know, I mean big one. Isn't that something? And of course, the beautiful, you know the beautiful part about having the big house under this covenant? There ain't no taxes. You know, I will never build another big house, ever. I mean, I saved all of my life to build me and my family a big, beautiful home. And of course, to some people it's not very big, but to me it was big. It was over 4,000 square feet, and to me that was a big house. A lot of people have a 4,000 square foot house today, but I had no idea when I built that big, beautiful house. Saved money, paid for it, never borrowed a penny to build it, paid cash for everything as I built it. I mean, built that thing, totally finished it, everything, never borrowed a dime. And when I got through with it, it started costing me $300 a month to live in it for taxes. For the rest, and it's just gone up all the time. It never gets less, it always gets more. I won't never build another big one. You know, me, I won't. I, I just don't like giving uh, all that money to somebody to live in my own house. 
But if you've got a big house, you're going to pay taxes. You know, I mean, you're going to pay it. And that's what's so sad. But on this big, beautiful mansion you have in the Lord, He don't charge you any taxes for this thing. It's not taxable. Now then, since this new covenant gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Think about what He just said. This new covenant, since it's God living in you, you can be bold to pray for someone today and expect Him to do great and mighty things. Why else would He have made such a statement like He did in Matthew eighteen nineteen? Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Or why did He say in Hebrews four sixteen? Come boldly into the throne of grace. Don't come up here like a whip dog. You know, don't come in here saying, Oh, God, I don't know what you'll do. Lord, i got a need. He said, That's not one of my children. One of my children's got the Holy Ghost in them. He said, You come boldly. You repent of every sin. You let my son's blood wash away every sin. And you come jump up my lap and put your arm around me and say, Dad, I just want to praise you and worship you and love you. What a God, huh? Woo! And after you praise Him and worship Him a little while, say, by the way, Dad, those old devils down there on earth or something down there is kind of giving me a trouble, or my neighbors give me a little trouble, would you please soften her or his heart or something like that? He said, sure, I'll send the Holy Ghost down there to move on. I'll make a change in them. Isn't it wonderful when you learn you can do that? You know, of course, that's just like, again, my wife Cheryl, I taught her too good. Every time I get out of sorts, she don't say nothing to me. She just goes and say, Daddy, you've got to soften up this husband's heart. He's not loving me like he should. You need to take care of your son. Oh, he says, I could do that for you, daughter. <laughs> and he does. Isn't it wonderful to know how to pray? Sure. It's wonderful. You can come jump up in Daddy's lap. He will change anybody or everybody or anything if you come jump up his lap. And you come boldly in. You know, It's so wonderful. To be able to come boldly into the throne, knowing you can speak in His name and pray for people and get your prayers answered. Right, Sharon? You can pray for people. I mean, people, we have the prayer lines ring, I mean, off the wall out there. I think maybe it was yesterday or whatever. One day this last week. Actually, it had to be yesterday, I guess. I think Sharon's phone rang from the time she got there until she went home. I think it was still ringing when she finally went home. I think she didn't even take a break. I don't think yesterday that she, her phone was, she was a busy, was it yesterday you were so busy? Almost every day like that though, isn't it, Sharon? People are calling. You know, they need to be prayed for. They got lots of needs. Well, that little lady there, she's learned how to go boldly into the throne and call on her daddy. It's like Deborah, all many of you have. You've learned how to do that. You go into the throne of grace. You call on Dad. You know, I mean, just like Richard and I. You know, we his son was injured, and man, I mean, he called the minister center. I think Kathy called, prayed for him. I don't know who. Maybe Sharon prayed, called him back, and prayed for him, and or maybe Cheryl or Rosemary did. Rosemary did, or whoever did. And then they told me about it. And after I heard his son got hurt, I called him. You know, we all prayed, and I'm telling you, we're going to expect God to do a great and wonderful work in that boy's life, ain't we, Richard? Ain't no doubt. You know, that's what, that's what we come together for, to call, to pray for people expecting under the new covenant for the king to do something great. And what can the king do, Richard? Anything we can believe him for, right? So that's all we need to do once we pray. We begin to need to worship and praise him and thank him that his son's marked hands perfect. 
There ain't going to be no problem. He's going to be able to use that hand for the glory of God. Don't never doubt. Don't never go by what you see. Go by what's written. You don't meditate on what you see. You meditate on what's written in these promises of God. And when you do that, under the new covenant, He's a faith God. And when you stand on His Word, He will do great and mighty things. And that's the beautiful part about the new covenant. Then He says, this gives us this great confidence so we can be very bold. We are not like Moses. Somebody said, man, I wish I could be like Moses. But we're better than this. This is what's so awesome. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that people of Israel would not see the glory fading away. But the people's minds were hardened. And even to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, a veil covers their minds so they can understand. Not understand the truth. Isn't that amazing? When the Old Covenant is read, the law, a lot of people, the Israeli people he's talking about, the Jews, their minds are blinded, they're veiled, so they cannot see the truth. But let's see what he says. And this veil can be removed, or it can be removed, Well, how can it be removed? Only by believing in Christ. So, yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, when you come to Jesus... Then the veil is taken away. That veil that blinds your mind. How many people have you ever heard in your life say, you know, I read, I try to read the Bible, but I don't understand nothing I read? You ever been there? Amen. Amen. Nearly everybody has. You know how to get that veil taken away? Really make Jesus Lord of your life. Start getting in the Word. Have an intimate relationship with the King. When you get in there and start having an intimate relationship with the King, He will take that veil away. And He will begin to open the Word of God to you. He will begin to reveal it to you. That's what He wants to do. But how is He going to reveal this to you if you're so busy you don't ever sit down and read it? You ain't going to get it. And that's our problem. We get out there and, oh, you know, it's so much easier, or at least it used to be. I haven't done this in many a year. But it would be so much easier for me to come home in the afternoon and sit down to a dinner and then go in there and turn on a two or three or four 30-minute or maybe two or three one-hour television shows and watch them till 10 o'clock, watch the news or then whatever, and finally go to bed at 11 or 12 o'clock. And you know what I learned? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, oh, I watch the weather, but what good that do? It's going to come anyway. I mean, you know, Ty told me it's going to rain this week. I didn't know it was, but it, obviously he watched the right news because it did rain, you know, but... I mean, I, if I'd have watched the news and it said it's rain, it wouldn't make a difference to me. It's going to rain anyway, you know, whether I watch it or not, right? It's nice to know sometimes what is going to happen if you're going to do something. It's nice to know, huh? Yeah, if you're going to be flying or something, it's nice to know what the weather's at least forecast to be. And, of course, when I do go flying, I do check the weather. You know, I want to know where it's going. And, of course, 
the beautiful part, again, like Dave and I was talking about today as we were coming back from working on the airplane, when talking about all the clouds, we talked about how nice it is to be able to go out there today, which you could, this hadn't been available very long, and still very few people have this, but with the equipment we have, we can get in our airplane, we can see the online, actual, up-to-date, by the minute, weather right inside the airplane, right on a computer screen. That's so amazing. We can literally see the clouds. We can see the storms. We can see the lightning. And the first time ever I've ever seen the lightning this last week, Monday morning, I guess it was, whenever the clouds were all over and we went to work, we had the computer in the car with us, and they pulled it up and turned it on. And we, 40 miles north of us up here, we saw all kinds of little outer layers of uh, clouds, and they got higher, and they got, you know, they, they go from the blue to the green to the yellow to the purple and red in the middle, and there's little lightning bolts all in there. You see them on the screen. Lightning bolts. All kinds of stuff. You think, wow. You wouldn't want to fly into that, see? So, you know, so anyway, God has given us so many wonderful things today that Nobody else in history has ever had these kind of things besides the people that live today. And these are new. This technological world we live in, I think about what we have, but compared to what we have in the Holy Ghost, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing compared to what we have in the Lord. It says the, the people's hearts are covered uh, with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord... When you turn to Jesus, now see, this is the secret. You've got to turn to the king, and you want to turn to, and make him Lord of your life and get in his word. Spend time with him. Go home in the evenings after work, and instead of turning on the television, I mean, it's okay to watch some Christian television, but don't watch the secular junk. There ain't nothing on secular television that tells you nothing. I mean, nothing. Virtually uh, it's nearly everything out there that's junk. It's just not fit to watch. But when you go home in the evenings, open your Bible. Begin to ask the Lord, Lord, I want some revelation and wisdom. I want to turn to you. I want understanding from this word. I want to diligently seek you. He'll begin to reveal himself to you. You know, as you get in that word, now you, you know, he's going to find out if you're going to be diligent. He said, I reward those who diligently seek me. So some guys say, well, I'm going to try this stuff and see if it works. You go home, you get your Bible out, you got the television on, you're kind of looking at the television, you read it. Okay, let me read a line. Oh, there's my favorite. Jump foot, look at that guy, look at that guy on Monday Night Football. Look at him go, throw the Bible off to the side, jump up down the screen for a few minutes. And then you say, okay, 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 now this settle. Let me grab this book again. Let's see, what does that say right there? One more line, one more. Forget it. You ain't going to get nothing from God, are you, Susan? No. You've got to turn that thing off. You know, God, He says to them that diligently seek Me in the Word. And the only thing you're diligently doing is watching that football game or your soap opera or whatever. You know, turn that thing off. Get in the nice room where it's quiet, just you and God. Then you'll hear His voice. Then He'll talk to you. And then His new covenant will become real to you. I mean, He will reveal Himself to you. But anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and whenever, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom. 
Now, if the Spirit of the Lord is there, He will give you freedom. You have liberty in Christ. You know that? I didn't know that for a long, long time. I had no idea the freedom I had when I walk in the love walk with God. In fact, technically, when I walk in the love walk in the Spirit of God, I have freedom to do anything I want to do. Anything. I can do anything I want to do. Anything the Spirit doesn't uh, condemn me that's, you know, convict me that's wrong, hey, I have freedom to do it. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do what I want to do. You know, that's just like somebody said, well, if that's true, then you could smoke a cigarette. I said, sure. I have freedom to smoke cigarettes if I want to. But I don't want to. You know, I don't want them things at all. I know those things. This thing I live in, God lives in here too. And this is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to put any trash in this body. You know that? And if I were to smoke every day, I would be putting smoke in there with God. I mean, I don't think God wants you to smoke. I know He doesn't want you to smoke. But it won't take you to hell. It'll just get you to heaven a little quicker. <laughs> it will kill you with emphysema. In fact, I heard Dr. James Dawson say the other day, it's been quite a while ago when I heard him say this, you know, that you see the sign up there with a woman standing up with a long cigarette, maybe you've come a long way. He said, babies, y'all have come a long way. He said, up to the 38-year-old women have now exceeded men with lung cancer. I thought, wow, they've come a long way. It, lung cancer is not just like my dad. My dad smoked all of his life. And when my dad was 75 years old, he had to have surgery on his lungs. And I remember when that doctor came out of there, he said, Thurman, I had to take about a third of one of the, your dad's lungs out. And he said, his lungs looked like a burnt-up charcoal brick at. He said, if I'd have had to take any more lung out than I did, he said, there wouldn't have been enough air sacs left for your daddy to live. He said, he's going to barely have enough air sacs to get by. He said, he won't be able to do anything other than walk across to the kitchen to, to eat. He will not be able to run a step. I thought, good grief. And I remember when my dad used to get out there with me, and we'd run them goats down. And we know we'd work, we'd run cows. Well, I mean, you couldn't wear him out. And here he is now. A few years later, of course, they finally caught up with him, you know, from smoking all those, burnt his lungs up, cost him all that money to have his lungs taken out and all that pain that when they went done the lung surgery. Another thing, I, I, I think about this. When I went in there after Dad got to where he could talk again, uh, and my dad has had a very strong pain tolerance. I said, Dad, how are you doing? He said, well, son, he says, where they said they pulled those ribs back or broke them or whatever they did to go in there to work on my lung. He said, a, a couple of days after the surgery, he said, I had to cough. And he said, I did. But he said, it hurt so bad. <laughs> I'll never forget this. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. I still think about this. I, I couldn't, I, when I went out there, I thought, oh God, with my dad and his pain tolerance. I said, well, dad, I said, if it hurt that bad when you coughed, I said, what'd you do the next time you had to cough? He said, you just don't cough. <laughs> you just don't cough. I thought, wow. 
all of that could have been avoided. All Daddy would have had to done was never smoke those cigarettes. He got on the wrong road as a young man, and he smoked those things all the years I could remember. Isn't that a shame? And he paid for it dearly. Paid for it in quality of life and everything. And pain and suffering, having to go in and break the ribs and take out a piece of lung and all the stuff he suffered. All because he abused his body with nicotine, you know. But how many people abuse their body with uh, excess alcohol? You know, uh, maybe they drink a six-pack of beer every day or, or whatever. Uh, somebody drinks one glass of wine or one bottle of beer, that ain't going to kill you. You know, I think your liver and your internal organs can handle that. But if you drink six-pack or a 12-pack every day or you drink a fifth of vodka every day, I'm going to tell you, eventually your liver or whatever your organs are going to fail. They're going to quit working. They can't handle that forever. God made them just to be so strong. And then they fail. And when you see a 40, 50-year-old man on his deathbed, and then here's what he has to say. If I had my life to live over, I'd change. Yeah, when he was 20, you tell him, you know, that you could die at 40 or 50 with it. Ah, that's, that happens to other people. That don't happen to me. But 20 or 30 years later, you know, here they are. In fact, the other day we had a lady at the healing school. She told us about her son. I forget how old he is, but he had uh, he was a Christian supposedly, and he went to the war in the the first. He was in the Middle East the first time we went over there in Iraq and all that stuff. And then he came back and was over here for all those years. And then when the war started again, he was going to go back, and he went down to a bar drinking one night. And I don't think, he wasn't married. He picked up a girl. And he went to bed with her that night. Within a few days, he began to feel awful. When he went to the doctor there on the base and told him he felt awful, and he was just a few days and having to go back over there, they thought he's just saying this because he didn't want to go back to the war. They run some tests on him, and he had picked up a very rapid HIV from that woman. And it was already making him sick. I mean, does sin have a consequence? It has a serious consequence. Now, just think, that one little action that night of listening to the enemy, of doing what the enemy told him to do instead of what God says, is going to cost... He, it has already cost that man severely. Now, who knows how long he'll live? But I believe he's going to live a long time because I prayed for him Saturday, Friday night. Saturday night or whatever. I Maybe you prayed for him with me, Ty. I don't know. But I know several of us prayed for him. I believe that God can do great and mighty things in that young man's life. I believe God will forgive him for that and change him and heal him. You know, what a merciful God we serve, huh? He, he, he's so awesome. But see, under the New Covenant, we have the power to pray for people like that and see our King, when we come bold in His throne of grace, the King can do anything with this New Covenant we got. You know? It's so amazing what He can do. But it says here, And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be Mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. Now, if you and I are Christians, 
We're supposed to have the veil removed. We're supposed to reflect what Jesus is like. That ought to put some of us to thinking, huh? If I'm not shining like Jesus, then I'm not doing what the king called me to do. I'm supposed to be a reflection of Jesus. Is that something, is that a goal to shoot for? It absolutely is. In other words, when you walk up in that mirror, you look, and we hope that mirror is beautiful and clean and smooth. When you look, you see a person just exactly like yourself, not an old, sooty, dirty mirror. You want to see a clean reflection of yourself. But I got a feeling that most of my life I was a very sooty, black mirror up there, and I wasn't much of a reflection of Jesus. Any of y'all ever been there? I think all of us have been there far too much, don't you? But I think now we need to learn under the new covenant, we need to clean that mirror up, and we need to walk holy in obedience to the King, and we need to start listening to this wonderful Spirit, and everything we do ought to be done in tune with the Holy Spirit. And when it does, then we ought to be a bright reflection of the glory of God. We ought to be doing the same thing Jesus did, you know. We ought to be saving the lost every day, you know, healing the sick, doing all these things. We should be doing this. I mean, if you didn't talk to somebody about Jesus today, shame on you. <laughs> you need to talk to Jesus, somebody about Jesus every day. Be an example of our King. We're supposed to be a reflection of the glory. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. What a goal to shoot for, huh? What a goal. That's all of chapter 3. That's every, that was the last part of chapter 3. But the glory of God should shine in your eyes and your face. You ought to keep that beautiful smile all the time. So when anybody sees you, they'll say, Now why are you so happy? I say, that is to remind me to tell you about the best thing that ever happened to me. And they say, wow, what was that? And I say, that's when I come to know my Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He's awesome. Do you know him? And they might say, well, yeah, but obviously not like you do. Well, let me tell you about him. See, that's when you get an opportunity to a privilege to reflect his glory and what you've learned about him and tell others about him. And, and that's, that's where we all need to be living, every one of us. Now it says here, this treasure that we have is in these perishable containers. Isn't that awesome? That God is living in you and me. It says, in, and so since God, this is chapter 4, and so since God in His mercy has given us this wonderful ministry, we will never give up. This is a wonderful ministry that He's given us. You know, I'm ashamed of myself that it took me so many years to understand this. How I went to church all my life and didn't have no idea what I had in Christ. Wow. We reject all shameful and underhanded methods. All of those. We do not try to trick anyone. 
And we do not distort the Word of God. We tell the truth before God. And all who are honest know that. We should not do any... We should, one thing we should remember, we should never go beyond what is written. You know, when you, when you meet with people... I mean, just like this last week when Dave and I started out there on Wednesday with those guys. Uh, it was amazing how easy it was because of some things they said. It was so easy to direct those things into talking about Jesus and His glory. And these guys are kind of amazed, you know, because they ain't talking about Jesus, I can guarantee you. But boy, we have stirred them up and those boys have talked more about Jesus, I bet you, this week than they have in the last two or three years. But we really stirred them up. You know, I mean, when you walk in there with the glory of God shining all over you, you know, when you're doing things, and just like that young man yesterday, two of them stayed after they got off work. They come out front and wanted to talk to us. And I know we stayed an hour and a half. <clears throat> I mean, hey, can you think of anything better to do than stand out there and talk with two young men that are probably 40, 45, 50 years old about Jesus, your King? See, when you start talking about the power of God, these guys had never, ever, ever seen anything like Dave and I talk about. Wow, we've never seen God do nothing. Hey, well, of course, the reason some of them never seen God do anything is because they're dead spiritually. Some of those men don't know Jesus at all. And not at all. You know, it's kind of amazing how many people there are out there today all over that don't know Jesus at all. Not at all. But you've got to start somewhere with all of them. But if you run into one or two that has been to church a little, you get those men talking about Jesus and we get to talking about His power and what He's doing and the miracles we see and things. Man! You know, and of course when you talk about miracles... And healings, I mean, one of the guys said, yeah, it's just, you're just pulling the wool over our eyes. I said, no, look right here. I pointed right at Dave Rosenfeld. I said, see that guy right there? I said, that guy right there. I told him about him, what he used to do and everything. I said, that guy had an incurable disease. Doctor said he could not be healed. I said, he came to me. I told him what to do from God's Word. He stood on and I said, Dave, that man right there stands before you completely healed. All eyes turned to Dave Rosenfeld. He said, yes, guys, he's telling you the truth. See, now we got their attention right now. See, they ain't never seen it. We got, it's not, we're not telling them a story without something to back it up, right, Keith? That's right. We got a man that happened to right there. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's why God put me and Dave together. He is such an awesome testimony. I mean, his miracle, all the same way with Sharon. You know, I mean, God did such a magnificent work on her. And, and my Cheryl. You know, God did such a magnificent work on her. But everybody at the ministry center has received tremendous miracles from God. Like Phil and Krista, you know, I mean, you name it. They've all, they all know that Jesus is real. Just like today, when I was back there and Phil was holding his little lady. She's just holding her head up, you know, four and a half months old now, just laughing. I was kind of tickling her and everything. She's just laughing and everything. I said, Phil... You know the importance of teaching this little girl about Jesus, don't you? Oh, yeah, he said, I know the importance of teaching her about Jesus. See? Most mom and daddy don't know the importance of that. Most mom and daddies raise their children up and they don't ever talk to them about Jesus. In fact, they may live like the devil themselves. 
And then they wonder why their children all go wrong. Because they had a perfect example at home. You know, it's real easy to follow the old block, especially if the old block is lost. You know, or not walking with God. You know what I mean, don't you? It's so easy. But once we get a hold of Jesus, I mean, how many men have I seen in my life that didn't know these things, that raised their kids and their kids are all grown? Then they got saved. And then they come and start going to church. And then they think, oh, Thurman, praise God, if I only known this when my children were babies. If I'd only known about Jesus, I'd have read the Bible to him, I'd have prayed over him, I'd have done everything. But he didn't know either. How many men does that happen to all the time? Multitudes of them. And it's still happening all the time. Because we're not out there doing what God called us to do. We need to be sharing Jesus. And the glory of the Lord needs to be reflecting off of us. And that glory needs to be shining so that people will see Him in us in everything we do every day. Don't let nobody get by. Whoever they are, talk to them about Jesus. Don't let them get out of your sight if you haven't talked to them about the Lord. And it says, And so, since God in His mercy has given us this wonderful ministry, we will never give up. We reject all shameful and underhanded methods. We do not try to trick anyone. We do not distort the Word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who can who are honest know that. If the good news we preach is veiled to anyone. Now this is when I got a hold of this scripture years ago, this changed my life forever about how I prayed for people. If the good news we preach is veiled from anyone, it is a sign that they are perishing. Satan, the god of this evil world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. When I got a hold of that, then it says, so they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon them. It's shining upon them, but they can't see it. There is a veil that's there that Satan is putting up. He is blinding their mind to the truth. And it says, so they don't understand the message we preach about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Now, when you get a hold of that, just like I did, when you get a hold of the fact, I used to pray all the time for, well, not all the time, but when I first began to learn how to pray a little bit, I said, Lord, would you please save so-and-so? Well, what do you think he's trying to do? He's trying to save them. So why doesn't He save them if you ask Him to save them? But yet some people I had prayed for, I had prayed for for years and no change. In fact, I had one uncle. I prayed for this uncle. I pleaded with God, God, please save my Uncle Lloyd. I didn't know how to pray. I went over to Uncle Lloyd's house when he was old after his wife died and everything. He was my dad's oldest brother. And... He wouldn't go to church. I'd go over and I'd say, Uncle Lloyd, I mean, I didn't know much about the Bible. I said, Uncle Lloyd, why don't you go to church with us Sunday? Ah, he called me Sonny. He said, Oh, Sonny, you need that junk. I don't need that. I said, Uncle Lloyd, everybody needs Jesus. Nah, he said, I'm okay. I don't need that junk. Who was blinding his man? The devil. 
But I was praying and asking God to save him, and that's what God's trying to do. But he never did. And one day, Michael Lord got really hurting real bad. And his sister took him with her husband. They carried him since he was all by himself. He had never had any children. He was always, he just, he didn't want no children. He just wanted to live and spend his money and have a nice car and a nice home. And he didn't want time to mess with kids. So he didn't have any. Didn't have none. So when she died, there ain't nobody left but him. Now then, he come down sick one night real bad. And his sister, he called his sister. And she came down and got him with her, her husband and took him to Temple to the hospital. And they checked him for hours. Couldn't find nothing wrong with him. And just told him, said, you know, we don't know what's wrong with him. Just send him back home. Of course, he was about 80. On the way back home, he says, Sis, sis, look at them evil, look at them wicked things in this car. Look at them, they're coming to get me. And he died in that car. My aunt, when she got home, she said, Thurman, Lord was probably hallucinating, wasn't he? What was that? What do you think he was seeing? Isn't that an awful way to die? See, the demons of hell come to get you. Now, they had blinded his mind all of these years because he refused to hear the Word of God. And I didn't know how to pray for him. Out of my stupidity of the Word of God, of course, I'm a fairly young man, and I ain't never had nobody to teach me these things. I'm reading this book and studying it, but I ain't getting it. I am not getting these principles. I do not understand. I don't understand the devil. And they're certainly not teaching it to me in church. But the reason they don't teach it to you in church, I don't believe they know it either. I really don't believe they know. I think if they did, they'd teach it. When you learn this, you can't help but teach it. You've got to teach it. You've got to teach it. But I don't think they knew it. So they couldn't teach it to me. I certainly didn't know it. My mother and dad didn't know these things. So, whenever the demons of hell come to get my uncle that night, they drug him screaming into the pit of hell. And he got to see them come. He was telling his sister. I can only imagine that, Cheryl. I mean, when my aunt told me, I thought, that's got to have been demons. You know, he saw. I, I told her, I said, ain't, ain't all of my I said, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, 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 didn't, I just couldn't tell her. But in my heart, I knew that that was the demons of hell. He was seeing these ghastly, wicked... He said, Sis, look at them. They're horrible. Look at them. They're coming to get me. And they did. He died right there in that car that night on the way back from the hospital. My father saw that happen with a woman around about the time I was born. Oh, is that right? And, yeah. And she was, in fact, she was so weak that she couldn't raise up in bed. Yeah. And she, as she was dying, she got up in the bed and it took about four or five men to hold her down. And she was clawing at the wall and, and saying that these, these, these things were coming to get her. These things were coming after her. Yeah. See, lost people. Susan, you have a statement? Let me, let me get a mic here so these can be recorded, these questions, because. Okay. Someone told me that if someone is dying and you don't know if they're a Christian or not, when they're dying and they're not saved, they're, when they die, their faces are contorted and. They stay in that contorted state. But if they are saved just by the, by the skin of their teeth, <clears throat> then their face is peaceful. Do you know anything about that? Uh, yeah, I've seen that happen lots of times. Usually, uh, 
Uh, Deborah, you got a question? A lot of people I've seen die, and Christian, I've never seen one die in fear. Okay, now some of the times when we're listening to tapes, before you've taught that hell is actually not open yet. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. So these people are being dragged away to Gehenna? Yeah, right. Okay, so it's not actually hell. Yeah, no. No, the lake of fire, which the way I read that, now, you know, that's, that's the way I read it. I may be wrong, but I, I, I don't have a corner on the market here, but the way I read the Bible in the book of Revelation, the actual lake of fire is not open until the end of the age. That's when Jesus opens it. That's the way I understand it. Now, in other words, right now, when people die, they go into a holding tank. You might say it's, it's a very hot place, you know, because you remember when in Luke chapter 16, when the rich man died? You know, at that time, paradise and Gehenna were in the same place. There was just a great gulf separating the two of them. But after Jesus died and went down there and preached to all those, He took those, the good ones, the ones that believed in His coming, He took them out. And the Scripture says in Matthew chapter 26, I believe it is, or verse 52 or something like that, or 27:52, it says, After Jesus' resurrection, the graves opened and the Old Testament saints came out of their graves. Anybody remember reading that? Sure, you've read that, so you know what I'm talking about. I believe with all my heart that group of people that was resurrected after his resurrection, he was the first fruits, and after he came forth, that was the first resurrection, and all those people that had died looking forward to the coming of Christ, which had been in the center of the earth, they could look across there and see those flames, they could see, but there was an air conditioned comfort over here. But they could look across because the rich men said Look over there, there's Father Abraham. And I see Lazarus sitting by his side. said, have Lazarus come forth and dip his finger in that cool water and put it on my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. And the Lord said, no, he cannot because there's this great gulf that separates the two and you can't go from one side to the other. He said, well, Lord, then if he can't come over here, at least send him back to my five brothers. I've got five brothers that's headed for the same place. He said, send him back. He said, well, no, they have Moses and the prophets. I wrote the word and they just need to believe it. He said, no, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. He said, but send one back from the dead and they'll believe. And Jesus said, no, there's going to be one. Of course, he's talking about himself that's going to return from the dead. There's still going to be something ain't going to believe, even though one comes back from the dead. I mean, you hear people today say, you know, oh, yeah, I heard about Jesus coming back from the dead, but you know, it's a bunch of nonsense. You know, you just heard on television the other day, they found his grave over yonder and his bones are still there. <laughs> They'll believe that, you know, but they won't believe the truth. So anyway, you know, praise God. You know, you got to just realize that this, uh, their eyes are blinded. Go ahead. But what about the people that say they've been to hell and come back? And they may have been. You know, I don't want to go. I don't want to make the trip. I, I know that there is, uh, uh, you know, I really don't even want to go. I mean, I believe that God could easily do that. I've heard several people. I mean, Richard Eby, he went down there only for a few seconds or a few minutes maybe. Howard Pittman, Howard Pittman got to see part of it. And, of course, uh, there's been many people. No, 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 that's right. They go to a place of torment, which is a Kahina, which is in the center of the earth. And those people will be there until the second resurrection. 
at the second resurrection, those people will be brought out of that place and they'll be judged, the way I read the Bible, at the great white throne according to their works, what they've done. In other words, Hitler will be rewarded a whole lot worse than maybe the guy that lived down the street that went to church on Sunday, didn't really know Jesus. You know, he might have only run around on his wife two or three times in his whole life. Might have only lied a little. And he might not have never done none of those things. He might have been the best guy on the block. But he missed one thing. Knowing Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Well, that guy's still going to be in the lake of fire too. When he died, he's going to be in Gehenna. And he's going to be down there in that torment until the second resurrection. And then he, along with everybody else that missed knowing Jesus will be cast into the lake of fire. After the false prophet and all of them have been put in there, they will be cast in there. And then at the end of the thousand years, Satan himself will be cast into that thing. You know, so the lake of fire or hell is not open yet. But who wants to go to the Gehenna, the place of torment, right now and live there for a few thousand years and then have the privilege of being resurrected from the dead and cast into a place that's worse? That's beyond my wildest imagination. But when these people that clawing the walls, like my uncle, screaming, uh, Sis, do something! Look at these wicked things! They're coming to get me! And he died. He got to see the demons of hell coming to get him. I mean, this spirit world is real. And, and that's why we need to make sure that we're out talking to people about Jesus. We don't want nobody to go there, right, Deborah? Right. There was a place in the Bible I was reading the other day that said, also, those of us that are saved will be able to continually view those people in torment. Yes, and I was true. like, oh, I'm not sure. That's something I want to continually view. Yeah. One thing about it, if we have to go by and look at them, of course, the Scripture does say, you know, that we will walk by and we'll look upon Satan and we'll look down and we'll say, and that, that deceived nations? That's what deceived me? That? You know, you see how insignificant he was. And the Scriptures talks about that. And you think, wow, that devil, what he has done and how he blinded the minds of people. And here we are now, we're really seeing this in the glory of God. Because we're with the King. I mean, but technically it's not going to be any different. He's in us right now. You ain't ever going to get any closer to God than you are right now. He's in you. You can't get no closer than that. But the King of the universe and His Holy Spirit lives in every one of us that are born-again Christians. You just can't get no closer than that. I'm not saying that our His glory is being radiated from us as it should because a lot of years of my life, I didn't even know I had that in me. I didn't have any idea about this new covenant and who I was and what I could do. But probably every one of you were just like me. As a born-again Christian, who knows? You might have lied. You might have stole. You might have cheated. You might have went to bed with somebody who wasn't your mate. And yet you were a born-again Christian. Now, you know, it's a good thing God's merciful. You know it. If He wasn't merciful, none of us would be alive. Because all of us have missed a point somewhere. But that's why He's opening the Word to us today. He wants us to walk holy in His presence. So He's giving us these wonderful gifts. Then He says... We don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, that's what we're supposed to preach. Some of us talk a whole lot about ourselves. You know, you, 
you can get somewhere and it's real. It's amazing how you can, especially with a bunch of men, you know, you can get around with a bunch of men and boy, they can. If you want to know something about somebody, you just stand and listen a little while. And man, he's bragging about everything he's ever done and what he can do and all the stuff. You know, he's the best at everything. I've even heard preachers say that. You want to know the best Pentecostal preacher in town? Just look at me. I'm him. I'm him. Praise God. Patting me on the back. You know. You know. I mean, I, I know one that told me that himself. You know, and so that's why I told that story. Because he said, if you want to know who the best Pentecostal preacher was in Fort Worth, he said, you just ask me. I'd tell you, I was him. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Finally, God humbled him one day. Spoke to him told him. said, you're the problem in your church. <laughs> Whoa, that humbled him. I'm telling you, that really humbled him. And it made a different man out of him. He's a great man of God today. But he can tell you that, you know, at one time, I, I'd just tell you, you know. I mean, of course, a lot of men, you know, you, you work with contractors and guys all the time. You'll hear them all the time say, oh, whoever built that last bill, he didn't know what he's doing. I should have done it. I'm the best there is. Is that right? Sure, you hear that all the time. You know, they're, they're, they're nobody better than they are. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. But he says, all we say about ourselves is that we are your servants because of what Jesus has done for us. We are servants of the Most High God. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made us understand that the light is the brightness of the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So, when you get a hold of what you can do in this plan, it says, but this precious treasure. Now, think about what he's fixing to say. I like this translation in these areas. But this precious treasure, this light and power that now shines within us, this light and this power of God, where is it? In us. It's in you and me. This light, this treasure, this light and this power that now shines within us is held in perishable containers. That's our bodies. These bodies which are wasting away. You know, it says, and that is in our weak bodies so everyone can see that our glorious power is from God and is not our own. Now then, when you pray for somebody and you see God do a miracle, just like we prayed for Kay up here the other, every one of us had prayed for Kay. But when we saw Kay get finally, it was, you might say it was the closest thing to an instant miracle that I've seen because when her neck was healed, that was instant. And then as we kept praying for her back, all of us prayed again and again, laid hands on her, rebuked her pain. And after every time, we'd ask her, where's your pain? Well, it was getting less and less and less and less and less. Then it's gone. You know, that's almost an instantaneous miracle. But you see a lady that had pain and couldn't turn her head and everything. Everybody's got to know that there I don't care if it's Ty, me, Eldon, or anybody else on our prayer team. There ain't nobody can do that. Even though Ty may be a good doctor, he can't even do that that quick to nobody, can you, Ty? Well, when you get to lay hands on and pray for him, or I get to lay hands, or Eldon, or whichever one, and we see God do something like that, everybody knows that this glorious power that's in us is the King. It's not us. It's the king. We've got this particular lady. We had a lot of other problems. Oh, I know. We prayed for the day before. Oh, I know. 
And so, you know, we saw things happening there that they had to be taken care of first. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it, I mean, that's why it took so long. You know, I mean, I think every one of us prayed for her. And maybe some, I know I prayed for her more than once. You know, and so I don't know how many different people prayed for her. I know I prayed for her two or three times over the course of the weekend. I think you probably did too. Yeah, you prayed for her twice. Eldon prayed for her two or three times. But, but, but every time, every prayer, things were being broken. The yeah. That's right. That's why I say, hey, that's why it's the God living in us and it's not us. It's Him. Ty grabs a hold of her, it's the same Holy Ghost. Eldon grabs a hold of her, it's the same Holy Ghost. I get a hold of her, it's the same Holy Ghost. It's Jesus, that's who it is. We are so grateful to the King that He will allow us to see Him do these kind of great things for His people, right? Oh, how much fun it is to pray for people and to think. When we're praying for this woman, who's here with us? The King. The King of the universe is in this room with us. Wow. Wow. I mean, that just, that, that's, that, just, that just strikes me with awe. I can't hardly even imagine. I mean, I just wish the King would manifest someday. If He did, I probably would. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> he knows better. I, because His glory wants to show up in here. Probably every one of us would just fall out or be blown out of the room or something. But <laughs> who knows what would happen. But wouldn't it? I mean, I think, I, of course, I think of that story I heard a preacher say one time. I prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God to reveal himself. I said, Lord, I, you said I could ask anything. He said, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you. He said, Lord, I want to see you. And he kept, one night, he said, the Lord appeared in his bed and said, I'm laying on my stomach with my face in the pillow. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm here. Turn and look. He said, I was petrified. <laughs> God, you're in this room? He said, yes. You wanted to see me? He said, turn. He said, my wife was sleeping right beside me. I began to elbow her. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. The king's in the room. Wake up. He said, I couldn't move her at all. She would just sound asleep. And said, he said, well, do you want to see me or not? He said, honey, wake up. The king's in the room. And he said, all of a sudden, the light went away. And I turned and looked and said he wasn't there. I thought, oh, my goodness. Now, see, the king shows up. We want to see him. And His glory is so radiant in our little frailties, we can't even turn and look upon Him. Can you imagine what you would be like if you heard a voice that said, Cheryl, wake up. I am here. This is Jesus. I've come to see you. Can you imagine what you'd feel like? I can't even fathom that. I'd love to have that happen, though. Would you die? Oh, I'd love to have that happen. It's glorious enough when He just talks to you. You know, that's pretty glorious when the king just speaks to you in an audible voice. You get to hear that. That's awesome. But to see him, I've never got to see him. But I've heard people that have. There is several people in my life I've talked to that say they have seen Jesus for a fraction of a second or or whatever. But it's amazing. But nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. He can do anything. Now then it says here, but this precious treasure, this light and this power, is held in these perishable containers that is in our weak bodies, so everyone can see that our glorious power 
is from God and not our own. So, we are pressed on every side by troubles. We don't like that, do we? Nobody likes to be pressed with trouble. But, it says we are pressed on every side by troubles. We are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. Now, how many Christians do you know that when the trials and tests of life come, they definitely give up and quit? Too many of us. Too many of us. Hey, we need to realize that on this earth, the Lord told us to occupy till He come. I didn't see anything in His benefit package that included a retirement plan. He didn't say when you get 80 or 60, you can quit and retire and sit down and do nothing. The king said, occupy till I come. Produce fruit for my kingdom. And I don't care if you're 60, 70, 80, or 90 years old, or 100 years old, you can produce fruit for his kingdom. You can pray for people. You can be doing things. I don't care if you're at home and if you're bedridden, you can still pray for people. You know, you can do something for the glory of God. I said, we are, we are hunted down. But God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. Through suffering, these bodies of ours constantly share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Now, if you think you're going to become a Christian... And you're going to come to church every Sunday and you're never going to have any problems on this earth. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Forget it. And let me tell you, the more you serve Jesus, the more problems you're going to have. But the more glorious will be your rewards. Without trials and tests, you can't be an overcomer. And remember what the king says. When he came to this earth, did he have problems? Not many. <laughs> On every side they attacked him, didn't they? I mean, ever can you imagine a man that never done nothing but save the lost, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead? That he could go in and raise Lazarus from the dead. And some believed, but the rest of them said, "We got to figure a way to kill him and Lazarus." They just saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. He had only been embalmed in a complete cocoon, sealed up in a mummy, four days. Sealed. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And you know, you see in all the movies, you see Lazarus and you see the white light and you see the curtains come back and you see Lazarus walk out. That is not the way it happened. Lazarus was in a cocoon sealed with a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe, and that cocoon was solid. I have seen those mummies when I was in Egypt at the Cairo Museum. I've seen those people that 5,000 years old, those mummies are still totally intact. Sealed. And he was in one of them for four days. If he'd been alive when they put him in there, ain't no man can breathe inside of one of them things for four days. They are sealed solid. So when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and it said he stood in the entryway of the tomb. Guess who brought him over there? An angel. 
Sure, an angel went in there, maybe a couple of them. They just picked him right up, brought us and stood him right down and held him up. And Jesus now let him, cut him loose and let him go. And so they begin to hack away and cutting away to get him. Can you imagine? As soon as they begin to cut through at the face, Lazarus said, Whew, I can breathe. Thank goodness you guys got me out of this thing. You can only imagine what went on there, right? Yeah, and so they go ahead and continue to cut this thing off of him. I'm telling you, this wasn't no two-minute job. I mean, as a doctor, they, they take that myrrh and aloe. Don't that stuff get sticky and hard and tight? Yeah. And they mix it up. They wrap your fingers. They wrap your arms. They wrap everything, don't they? And so that your hand, can you imagine trying to get that stuff off after you've been wrapped up for four days? No. They peeled that stuff off, and Lazarus was alive, and the multitudes were standing outside watching this. And some of them said, we've got to figure a way to kill this man. He could have done anything. Yeah, God could have done anything. They don't tell what he did. You know, he may have just fixed it. Yeah, he may have just fixed it where they walked up and just hit that thing and might just broke and fell off of you. Who knows how it all happened. He didn't go into detail in the Scripture to tell us. But I'm telling you that if he was persecuted and he suffered and then they killed him and beat him like they did, I'm going to tell you, if you start doing something and the greater you work for Jesus, the greater is going to be your persecution. So if you think you're going to go through this life and serve Jesus and you're going to be able to not have any persecution, no trials and tests, we'll get over it. That Let me bust your bubble right now. It ain't going to work like that. You're going to have your trials and tests. But don't give up. Don't quit. I don't care what happens. I don't care what the enemy throws at you. I don't care what the world throws at you. I don't care how bad it gets. You remember, this is a test. He's going to see how you're going to respond to that test. If you say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for another test. The king says, wow, you passed that test. Let's go on to something else. I'm going to... But that's how quick you can pass those tests. But if you start grumbling and complaining about these little tests... You might be like one of the Israelites. They walked around that mountain for 40 years grumbling and complaining. And they were dying all the time. I don't want to do that. I don't want to grumble and complain. I want to praise the king. I don't care what's thrown at me. I want to praise the king. Whatever comes, praise the Lord. And you get to go through those trials and tests a whole lot quicker. It says, we get knocked down, but we get up again and we keep going. Through suffering, these bodies of ours constantly share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. Now, who wants to live under constant danger because you serve Jesus? They did it. It's going to be the same for you and me. And if you don't do nothing for Jesus, it ain't going to be quite so bad, but you won't get any rewards. Because the king said, since Jesus was an overcomer, or at least Jesus himself said this, since I overcame on the earth and I was an overcomer, the Father let me sit with him in his throne. Now, if you overcome on earth like I overcame, I will let you sit with me in my throne. How would you like to sit with the king in his throne forever in eternity? Is that a goal worth shooting for? I'm telling you. I don't never let it be said that we're quitters. I mean, we're going to endure to the end. Whatever. 
Is that right? At least I want to hear the king say, like we sing in the song, well done, faithful servant. At least I'd like to hear that when I get home. Wouldn't you? I certainly don't want to hear what Howard Pittman said he, he heard. <laughs> no, I don't want to go there at all. Lord, show us what we need to do. Of course, Howard, he ain't going to hear that next time either. Uh, he, next time, he's the Lord's going to say, well done. But the first time he got there, the king wasn't too happy with him, was he, <laughs> Eldon? Yeah, we all sat there and talked to him for hours. Then he says, so we live in the face of death, but it has resulted in eternal life for you. Then he says, but we continue to preach because we know that some kind of faith, that the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God and so I speak. We know that the same God who raised our Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself along with you. All of these things are for your benefit. And as God's grace brings more and more people to Christ, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. How's God going to get glory? What are we going to do that's going to bring glory to His name? What is it that causes the angels to rejoice in heaven? When the soul is saved. It didn't say nothing about when we get somebody healed. We're just about the king's business in getting people healed. But what really, what makes the king happy is when we lead a soul into the kingdom of God. That is an eternal blessing that we need to make sure that we're about his work leading people into the kingdom of God. When you learn how to pray, when you learn that these people's eyes have been blinded by the God of this world, Satan, when you learn you have power over Satan, all power, all power is given to you. Luke 10, 19, and 20. Awesome scriptures. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over him. He shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that those evil spirits have to be subject to you but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. When you learn that you can go to the throne of grace, you can speak to the Father and love Him and worship Him and praise Him in the name of Jesus, then from the throne of grace you can speak directly to the enemy and command the enemy to get his hands off of Uncle Lloyd. I didn't know that back in those days. Had no idea. Jesus was trying to save him, but I had no idea that his eyes were blinded by the God of this world. Had no idea I had power over the devil. Had no idea the devil had to be subject to me. Those were things I had no idea of. But after I learned those things, I have seen many people saved. That I mean, people that wouldn't even talk to you about Jesus. Some of them old rough, tough contractors out there. The only thing they said about Jesus is, GD, that SOB. You know, you hear that all the time out on the job sites. Man, I'd fear somebody saying those kind of things. I'd go up and talk to him. You're a Christian? Blankety blank, no. I don't want nothing to do with that stuff, that religious junk. What's your name? Billy Bob Sanders. Okay, good, Billy Bob. You're saved and don't know it. Ah, what do you mean? I'm going to pray for you. Don't pray for me. I don't want you to pray. <laughs> Who do you think that is talking out of that man's mouth? A demon of hell. 
How much authority do I have over that devil? Oh, I go to the throne of grace. You think God loves that man? You think God wants that man saved? You go up and pray the prayer of faith. You rebuke those devils, command those devils to get his hands off of that man and start asking the Lord to send the Holy Ghost to claim that man's spirit, soul, and body for the kingdom of God. And if you don't give up and don't quit through all the trials and persecutions that will come, some of those people who get saved, some of them get saved in a day. Some of them get saved in a week. Some of them get saved in a month. Some of them may take two or three years. Some of them may take five years. It depends. But if you don't give up and don't quit... You will see God save those people. In fact, many of those people, you may never live long enough to see it. But if you've stood on His Word, He'll save that man. And He will. Just like as many of you have heard Cheryl tell her testimony about how her daddy was not a man of God. That didn't walk with God. That used His name in vain regularly. And all those kind of things. And yet, when her daddy died, when he died... She asked the Lord, Lord, I've got to have a sign today. I've got to know whether my daddy's going to heaven or hell. I've got to know something. And I walked in. She said, honey, can we pray for my daddy? We'd only been married a few months. I said, sure. And I closed my eyes. And for a man that I had only spoken to one time, when he gave her to me here at that wedding that day, I didn't talk to him at all that day. One other time when I told them we were going to get married, we had about ten minutes together. And that's the only time I'd ever talked to her daddy. I did not know him. I had no knowledge of him. I knew nothing about him, what he liked, disliked. Didn't know nothing whether he knew about Jesus or nothing. But whenever And when I knelt there beside that bed and began to intercede for him, immediately God showed me a vision of a man falling backwards into the abyss into the blackness and the darkness of hell. I saw him falling. When I did, a man I didn't know at all, I immediately, I, I just began to just gush with tears. I ain't never done that for nobody when they died. Nobody. I ain't never had a family member die that I hardly cried over at all. I, I, just, I know they're going to heaven. So I'm rejoicing. I'm not, I'm not out, you know, hurting. I'm praising God. I mean, sure, you don't want to lose somebody you love. But if you do, and they know Jesus, hey, they're going to heaven. Praise God. So, I never, but him, I saw him falling into hell. I mean, I just started gushing tears. I had my eyes closed. I said, Howard, call on the name of Jesus. Of course, Cheryl had no idea what was going on. And she began to say, yes, Daddy, yes, Daddy, please call on the name of Jesus. And I'm calling, Howard, please call on the name of Jesus. And he just backwards falling into the abyss. And... I'm screaming, Howard, please just say Jesus. And all of a sudden he said, Jesus. Just barely heard him. When I did, instantly I saw a bright light from up above. It just came down and illuminated him like a spotlight. And he stopped falling backwards and he turned forward and he was gone into that white light just like that. Wow. I saw that. Yes, I saw that with my own eyes. I mean, my spiritual eyes. I saw that. I said, wow. Cheryl said, what happened? What happened? And I told her. And then she told me about the prayer she had prayed. And God had answered her prayer through her husband. Had let me see this. And that's how close her daddy came to go into hell. You don't get much closer than that. But So don't, don't take that chance. Talk to people about Jesus. You want them to know Jesus before they get to that point. Because think how much better your life can be if you know Jesus on the earth now. 
Deborah, we may have all kinds of problems and trials and tests, but life's a whole lot better knowing Jesus, isn't it, girl? Like I said the other day when I asked the question with a church completely full of people on Sunday, I said, or Saturday maybe it was, a healing school was just full. I said, how many people in here that ever made Jesus Lord of your life is sorry you made that decision? Hold up your hand. I said, oh, no takers. No takers. I asked that question, and I heard an old preacher years ago said, I've been asking that question. I'm an evangelist. He said, I've been traveling across this country preaching the Word of God for 35 years. He said, I've asked that question in every church I've ever been in, every time I preach. And he said, I ain't never had a taker on that question yet. Isn't that wonderful? Ain't nobody ever made Jesus Lord of their life. Sorry, they made Jesus Lord of their life. Sure, have you ever had any problems? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know the king's big enough to take care of it. And I don't care what kind of trials and tests I got here. I know one day I'm going to reign and rule with the king. You know. Well, the Lord says we can reign and rule with Him right now. We're supposed to be reigning and ruling with Him right now. Wow. Anybody that needs Jesus, this is how simple it is. Just like Cheryl's dad, he said one word, Jesus. The Word of God says anybody that calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Anybody. That means you. That means anybody watching this tape. Maybe it's... They'll see this next week or maybe ten years from now they'll be watching this tape. Anybody that needs Jesus, all you got today is say, Jesus, I call on you to be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you're God and I want you as my Savior. All you got to say is, Jesus, save me. And He will. And then get into His Word and begin to study about Him. Learn about Him. Learn who He is. He's your God. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. He's your Master. He's the King of the universe. And He loves you enough to have paid the price for you so you can be saved, so you can be healed, so you can be delivered. And all these things He did because He loves you. And all of it is free. You can't buy it for no price. It's free. He gives it to anyone that asks Him in the name of Jesus. It's yours. Thank you, Father, for this day, for this evening. And Lord, may you save millions as we minister as a church, as a team, as this ministry continues to go forward, as you continue to expand this ministry more and more places in this world. May you bring millions to Christ through this ministry. And may you heal multitudes and deliver them and set them free. But Lord, we just want to be about your business we want to occupy till you come for us. And Lord, we want to serve you diligently and put you first in everything we do. And we give you all the praise and glory and honor because you're God and you're our Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.